Hi everyone, welcome to Mind Your Own Salvation, the podcast. This episode is titled Sexual Liberation versus Sexual Immorality. Is oral sex a sin? Today we have special guest Brittany Broda-Smith, author of My Boba and Me and CEO of The Intimacy Firm, where sexual education and intimacy counseling is provided. Brittany is an accomplished licensed social worker and earned her bachelor's degree in psychology and master's degree in both social work and clinical human sexuality. Brittany has created her own blueprint in working in the intersection of sexuality and faith without any fear of touching on the taboo subject of sex when it comes to Christianity. Brittany, thank you for being a part of my seminary journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about this conversation. (laughs) Me too. So let's dive into it. Intimacy's firm Instagram page. If you believe in God's sovereignty and you believe in creation, then you understand when God created the body, including the clitoris, horniness was created by God as well. Desire and arousal alone aren't set, aren't sin. So how would you define sexual sin, if any? Yeah, so I think there are things that, when we think about the word sin, right, it means, if we look at the original language and all of that, it means like literally to miss the mark, right? And so the sexual sin would be those things that fall outside of God's design for, for sex. That's tricky, though, because there are things that the Bible are explicit about, and there are things that just, you know, that in 21st century, wherever you are, doesn't really match first century Jerusalem when when all of these things, you know, came to be, right? So I think that um, it really comes down to you know, it really comes out when we think about like sexual immorality, right? That's one of those clear things that are in, well, it's in the Bible, like that word is clear in the Bible, but that's not an act. It's an umbrella term, right? And so it gets to be slippery when you think about um, those like hot button debates, like is anal sex a sin? Is oral sex a sin? That's sodomy, that's this. And then you get to the point, so where does it say that? Where does that say that in the text? But then there's also the thing in the scripture that says if it's sin to you, then it's sin. So if you feel bad about anal sex or oral sex, but you're doing it anyway, then it becomes a problem. But I do personally believe that God honors um, abstinence until marriage. So I think that if you if you're falling outside of that, then I feel like that miss you know that misses the uh, the mark. I do feel like that God also tells you that honors that when it says uh, I ain't even gonna try to quote the address, but I know it's in there. <laughs> um, the bed of marriage is undefiled. That honor that speaks to the holiness of the marital covenant, and so sex outside of um, the marital covenant, meaning adultery and that kind of thing, misses you know misses the mark. The other things are, I don't want. I feel like it's a slippery slope to say that it's situational, but there are things where the act itself is not the sin, but the timing, if that makes sense, or the person. You know, that that kind of thing. So that, I know it feels like, it feels like a very politician-like answer, but I think you heard me. <laughs> no, I, I definitely understand that answer. In some ways, some examples have definitely came up to mind with me. For instance, the act of masturbation. I think for me in my 
limits or the boundaries that I have for myself. It's just something that I personally can no longer adhere to. While I don't believe that, as you stated, that act of masturbation is sin, for me, I think it's me crossing my own boundary or my own form of limitation. Absolutely. And even when we think about, again, this is one of those situational, those not even situational, I'll say contextual, which we know in scripture, that is the biggest part of really understanding God's word is the context, right? And so the act of masturbation itself, if you demonize that and flat out say, for that you must die, then we get into concepts within a marriage, within a covenant, where we have a couple who was social who has the distance or there's a long distance relationship, long distance marriage or somebody's deployed or whatever where mutual masturbation is a technique that I work with married couples with all the time to continue their sensuality or foster that the sexual energy when they are apart when they can't be with you know each other if there are folks who are experiencing medical issues in which um the a masturbation serves to prolong ejaculation um, within the marital space. So it's difficult. It, it gets it gets tricky when you want to make it flat out a thing because then it doesn't. Then how do you pull it back when you apply it to another another context? And so we just we are we want so much. And I believe it comes from a good place. We want so much to be right. We want so much to understand exactly what God said so that we can stay in that because you know narrow is the way right we want to stay on that on that path yes but because god is very clear about his mysteries right and the study to show that self-approved which really comes with that undertone and when you're studying you're analyzing the text you're questioning the text you're applying it in different spaces to see if it still holds up and all of those things and we we don't we don't do that to it we don't like that because there's an opportunity as much as we love to be right there's also that fear that we could actually be wrong and so and but when we talk when when he said that um my grace is sufficient that speaks to the diversity of needs and wants and struggles but we only want the grace to be sufficient for us meaning let that let ebb and flow it here, but we struggle to let it be sufficient for other people whose boundaries and decisions and histories differ from our own. Yes, which leads me to the next question. How does one discover their own boundaries? And I wonder if you can touch on the experience for those who may have experienced sexual trauma or forms of sexual assault. How do they kind of define or stay away from that thin line of reacting hypersexually, um, hypersexually and, you know, understanding that balance of it all. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that I do when I work with folks who've experienced um, sexual trauma of any sort is really try, besides the primary of, you know, it wasn't your fault, that, you know, that kind of, like, you had no role in it, that kind of thing, um, is really helping to to establish the difference between the two. What happened was not sex. The activity was may have been the same. The you know depending on who you ask, the words may be the same. But the feeling, the impact, the experience are two totally, two totally different, um, two totally different things. And so, like I I, I liken it to when folks talk about. Um, Christianity during slavery and they talk about how the Bible the Bible of the slave owner 
did not mirror the faith of the slave. And so the experience of the victim does not mirror the gift of the good God, even though it's the same activity and people. I want um, folks, and because most of my work is with Black women, my heart is to help Black women understand that this may have been something that happened to you, but that's not what, that's not the same as the the gift that God gave, gave you, which is, which is sex and which is sexuality, which is he, so much of his love for us is shown through our bodies and so to answer your question, setting, learning those boundaries and setting those boundaries is really tuning into your body and the beauty of, you know, understanding that your body is a temple. That means, that doesn't just mean don't go here, don't do this, don't wear this shirt, don't, don't wear this skirt, don't sleep with that person. It also means take care of yourself and listen to your body, the body, God he's such, he's the greatest creative ever. Like, you know, people make so much money on Instagram and all this thing being creatives, but literally God, like his mind, right? And so when he crafted the body, it's what we see, which is beautiful. Yeah. But then also how it functions, like our reflexes tell us things. Mm. The hair, when the hairs on our, on our arms stand up, that's telling us something. When that, you know, some people call it, and the world may call it the gut, but you know, we know that's the still small voice. Like all of that comes together. Then we have the different parts of the brain, you know, that work together to as a protective measure. And things like discomfort and pain and pleasure are our bodies, is our body speaking to us. So if you experience a thing, if it's a novel situation, and when you get up to it, your body begins to react, lean into that and listen to what it tells you. Also recognize that we live in a fallen world and sometimes we're socialized in ways that our bodies then re- react in ways that we're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And everything that your body tells you may not necessarily align with your values per se. So y'all gotta figure it out. Like any other relationship, the body, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Like when you're building a relationship with your body, y'all gotta have some conversations, you know what I mean? And so- figuring it out but you that's the first thing like what is your body saying what is your gut saying what is your skin telling you like what are your what is your like those butterflies like that's like a thing like we we make it cute Hollywood has made it cute but that's literally synapses and hormones and like dysfunctioning to help to tell us things right and then besides after that read read that like the god of the universe is not solely contained in the 66 books of the Bible. There's a bunch of them in here, for sure. But he rules, if he's sovereign, he rules on theology, on social science, on medicine, on art, on all of the things that make up our world. There's God in that as well. And it's a way in which he speaks to us. And so learning your boundaries also, you may not, you don't have to have anal sex to know oh, that's not my jam. You can read about it, you know, it listen like understand the mechanics of it and just be like no I'm not I'm I'm okay on that it's not anything I'm interested in I don't feel no way about it but I just not interested I have enough trouble with yeah. eggs. I don't want anything with interests like that like you don't have to experience it but so I think it's the listen to your body read and then establish those and then and then also in the same way try new things try new things and then if you're like nah that's not for me and that doesn't mean like go have sex but like just and it's one of those things where 
it's a muscle that you got. I work with my couples when I talk about, I ask them one of the questions I ask them often is, are they able to um, articulate their turn-ons and turn-offs, right? And those who've never had sex before are like, no, I don't know. So I bring it back a step. Are you, are you able to articulate your likes and dislikes? When you're at a restaurant, are you, do you have a discernible palate? Right. Well, do you take the order as it's given to you or do you make tweaks to fit what you actually like? If it comes to your table and it's less than what you envisioned or imagined, do you give it back an extra something else or do you take it because you don't want to ruffle any feathers? And as you begin to um, work that muscle, when you get into the space when it's not like this, like when it is turn off and turn off and turn off, you're more discerning, more, um, more specific. And then that just further continues to build your boundaries even with yourself so boundaries aren't just like how you let other people treat you it's how you let yourself treat you as well and what you let yourself go into and do and all of those things I hope that makes sense that was a lie but I hope that makes sense no yes that that makes absolute sense when you were explaining this a part of me kept telling myself to mind how I convict or mind what sin for the lack of better words I will be willing to put myself in. And again, that resounding reassurance of knowing your limits, educating yourself in order to know what may be for you, what not be, you know, may be for you. Which is interesting because I live in, a, I currently live in a community um, out here in California where polygamy is really a big part of most people's uh, relationship. And I was just wondering if you could touch on that topic and do you believe that falls into the category of sin in regards to inviting someone in your marriage or inviting someone into your relationship to have as a sexual, additional sexual partner? Although disclaimer, I know that polygamy isn't only about having that sexual liberation or necessarily having the threesome, but it may fall into it in some ways. Yeah. So, I mean, when we think about polygamy as the multiple marriages we know that on the surface it's illegal in in our country it's it's you can't marry more than one person <laughs> it's, it's illegal so on the surface when the bible says obey the law of the land we already we already struggle we already had trouble waters right <laughs> there right but again it's one of those things like for me personally that that doesn't align with my values in marriage is you know a man, like a one man and one wife, like that, that's where my um, boundaries fall um, and my values fall where I believe God, um, the covenant of marriage, the structure of the covenant of marriage looks like from a, I lean more toward the traditional Christian sense of the biblical understanding of it. However, I do believe also that there are polygamists and polygynists and polyamorous people who love Jesus. And so that's really what feels hard for people to wrestle with, right? That you you gonna probably be in heaven with somebody who's polyamorous. <laughs> exactly. like that, that's, it's hard. It's hard for people to they hear about like that. They're not, and that's just what it is. I would not do it mm. if someone sits with me in my coaching. I am not versed in that that dynamic. I could not. My values are such that I could not help a triad be better with their communication skills I, I I couldn't do it but I have colleagues who do that work regularly and very well so I would refer out because that is me doing my due diligence as a Christian practitioner is you know even though this is for doctors 
do no harm is still a thing that I also ascribe to, even though I'm not the good, I'm not the fit for you. That doesn't mean you're not deserving of support. Yes. Thank you for providing that network out there for people so they don't even feel ashamed when they reach out to you for potential help in, re in regards to their triad. I really love that terminology that's there. Which leads me to my next question in regards to soul ties. A lot of times now there's a lot of people who are like, oh, how do I break this soul tie? Or, oh my goodness, I had to cleanse myself in order to get rid of my past soul ties. What are your thoughts on that? So, <laughs> Soul tie is one of those things that I, I am leery of debates within the Christian church that polarize us because mm -hmm. it becomes like it's th those debates that are so divisive that we are not dwelling as kingdom people amongst one another. And so I look when when we have those arguments, I look at like where where is the enemy at in this? What is he trying to stir up? What, you know, what seeds of discord are, is he, you know, sowing here in these conversations? And what it, because what it get down to in the way that soul ties are, are commonly taught in this day and age, it makes you want to be like, but the blood though, what about the blood of Jesus that forgave all sin, that broke, that breaks all chains, that, you know, loose all binds, like, so the soul tie is so intense that the blood of Jesus can't fix it or reach it or touch it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leery about that. Also, a lot of times the way it's taught is similar to the fear mongering in the way that sex education is taught that whoever you have sex with, you slept with them and then you're sleeping essentially with everybody that they've ever slept with and that and the other. And that's just not true. Right. That, you know, that's just not true. I believe soul ties I, be, I also believe that soul tie, the discussion of soul tie overshadows a much more important conversation, which is mental health. I think that soul ties as it's lived, what people see as soul ties are really poor coping skills. What people see as soul ties is like trauma from like bad breakups and like healing that is needed from fractured relationships, which are a result of, which are a, a result of the fall. I think that that's what we're not looking at. That's the conversation that we aren't having. And ultimately what it comes down to is, are you, is this connection one that God would want for you? If it is not, then we have to leave it aside. Just like he tells us to leave any, lay anything else aside, we trust him that he's going to carry us along the way. And then we repent. Re repentance is that, uh, result a uh, change of mind that results in a change of behavior and then move on and if you believe that's possible for any other sin then we're not going to elevate our again that's one of those polarizing things we elevate sexual sin above all other it things in the body when the most important thing that jesus speaks about is love yes and speaking about elevating sexual sin you say on the instagram post for the intimacy firm that sometimes Christians idolize sex and we idolize sex in the wrong ways. Could you touch more on that? That's all they talk about. That's all people, and I say this as a Christian sexologist, like I'm sick of talking about sex. I mean, love it, talk about it every day, could talk about it all day. But the thing is that we put it in places that it doesn't belong. And again, I think that, that any conversation that polarizes us 
that's polarizing or that divides us, I look to see where is the enemy in this. And so because sex is a gift, because it belonged to God first, of course, the dispersion that happens would start to benefit the enemy because if we look at it as negative, if we look at it as bad and not rest in the beauty of it, not rest in how God is showing us, showing his love for us through it in the way in which if we don't look at human sexuality beyond the first three letters, then we are reducing it in its scope. And when you reduce something, you don't appreciate it for its value. When you don't appreciate it for its true value, you aren't thanking God for his magnitude. If you aren't thanking God for his for its magnitude, then you're at art with you're not honoring how well he loves us. If you're not honoring how well he loves us, then you're loving him a little bit less. And if you love him a little bit less, you're more likely to turn to something a little bit more enticing than the devil wins. Oh my goodness. Well, we don't want the enemy to win at all. So it is definitely important to get into our books and to read and educate ourselves in regards to sexual health. I think I'm about to wrap up with the maybe one or two more questions. Sure. So I really enjoy how you're able to tie the biblical text into Christian um, sexology. And you have an interpretation of Mark 8, 36 that really resonated me. You, said, <laughs> you stated, I believe Mark 8, 36 says something to the effects of what does it profit a person to please the whole world and lose out on their own pleasure? Paraphrasing, of course. And I was like, exactly. You know, you touched on this earlier with the questions of knowing our limits, setting our own boundaries and respecting our own, our own boundaries, trying to educate ourselves on anal sex, threesomes, and all these forms of sexual liberation that might be out there. And also not being afraid to go get help and find someone within the network of experts who can guide and lead someone during this sexual journey. And I'm just curious to know how you're able to pull out all of these lessons in your interpretations of biblical texts, especially when there's things as, you know, man should in line with man and, you know, all these really bluntly stated statements that go against or seem to go against sexual liberation. Yeah. And so the thing is that sexual liberation does not mean we can do whatever we want and we run amok. That's, that is the black and white again polarized thinking that we have as believers because we don't do well in the gray we've made an idol out of certainty and so but in the same way we see certain certainty right in front of our faces and we're like oh no I don't mean that like and so because we want to shift it to mean something else so for me I've never professed professed to be a bible scholar I'm in seminary, and I also know that in seminary, if you want to learn the Bible, don't go to seminary because that's not what you're going to learn. So <laughs> Jesus will get you. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you want to learn the Bible, you want to learn scripture, you better go take a Bible survey course, go to Bible college or something. Seminary will have you, you will enter, you will leave seminary with more questions than you answer. But you will learn what seminary does do is give you the, equip you with the things of how to think and not what to think. And it gives you a model and application to really start like wrestle with the mysteries of God. And in that, I've, I know that the people who are called to me or who I am called to rather are 
recreational Bible readers at best. They go to church on Sunday. They may come to Bible study, and then they get the and the and the most the most in tune ones get the daily Bible app to their phone, right? So through think terms like that, and then even my um every Sunday I do a text from God where I kind of like put the put the scripture in AAVE like you know a little hood spin on what how God would talk to us. I feel like if he was if he was from up the block, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, do that to number one close the gap though god is god's word is literally how he speaks to us every day and so because with the king james version on the version it gets so lofty people are afraid of it because they don't understand it so that's the first thing everything that i do even if it's under the umbrella of sexuality is evangelism everything that i do is with the motive to bring people closer to christ and so i have to start with the word first now i make it I take liberties on social media because it's social media, but the core of that, that scripture, that, that message, when it says, what does it profit a man to gain a whole wide world will lose his soul? In that way, when I changed it, what the, it was, I believe it was under the, um, the post about I'm a pleaser is not the flex that you think it is. Yes. And when it comes to sexual pleasure, and I was speaking specifically, whether you are married or not, we are conditioned to that particularly women, Black women are conditioned to bear all. And we're conditioned that we are worth and value is rooted in how much we hold space for and provide pleasure for others, so much so that now we wear that as a badge of honor. But what is it profiting you to everybody else can say, so-and-so has gave, given me pleasure and then you're dying on the inside. You're, particularly as it relates to sex, you're pleasing everybody, right? You're pleasing your partner and they love it. And then your orgasm is nowhere in sight. Your pleasure is nowhere in sight. And be and simply because you're not speaking up and you think that they're going to read your mind and then come in and do what it do. But then you lay there, they all sleep and snoring and happy. And then you lay there hot and bothered with no recourse because you won't speak up. And you think, and that's not a badge of honor. Your orgasm, your it, even if you're not having sex, your pleasure is your responsibility. You feel it, you understand it, you know it, you know what you want, you know what you like, know what you don't like. If you don't, you learn it. And then you pro- then you give that information to the people in your space and then they partner with you so that you're able to experience. So you don't get no cookie because you laid there or stood there or sat there or whatever context is in and just let them have their way and you didn't get you didn't get anything from it. There's like these pleasure martyrs are like I don't, I don't know where that has, I do know where it came from. You know, we don't have time to get into it. <laughs> and all of that, but that, so that's where that was. So I like, so two, it's twofold. Um, it's really to like rip the veil from pleasure, living a pleasure fueled life, whether you're having sex or not, as well as to say the Bible, there's ample, it's, it's applicable to everyday life, no matter your background, no matter your vernacular, no matter your lot in life there's a there's a way i mean read the passion the, the passion translation really i mean it i figure the passion translation takes as many liberties as it does i can take a little more too. <laughs> well thank you and that leads me to my last question which is how has this uh walk with you know exploring your sexuality help you bring you closer to christ and oh uh, it, I, again, it's, I see how much he loves me. 
I see how much he loves us. Like literally like the clitoris, like the clitoris, it literally does nothing. It has no function, but pleasure. <laughs> That's it. It's the only part of the body that doesn't serve multiple, at least one other purpose. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, is it? It is. It is. It is. It. So if if it's there, it was there on purpose. Right. It was there on purpose because he loves us that much because he wants us to feel good. And I know that I can apply that logic to all of the senses that we have because God knew that in this world that we live in, things are going to happen. So we have five senses or six, depending on how you, what you want to call it. We may have some people consider six, um, a six one, but we have five senses for some, for most of us, something happens. You, you can't see anymore. If, if sight was the only way we got pleasure, what would happen in life? But God knew, like, you know, God knew better. Right. He he knew better and gave us all that. It, his love for us is literally infused in, in our makeup, in our being, the, in the temple that he carried, that we carry him around with. And he said we were made in his image. And so if we were, he's doing to us and did for us what he would do for his own child. And so it's going to be the best of it, of the best of the best. And we are heirs to that thing. And so it's like that when I look at that, when I look at sexuality, when I look at reproduction, anatomy, physiology, all those things, I'm like, yo, God, you was just showing off because what? Like, it's amazing. Even think about like the pudendal nerve and how it comes down the spine, but to a certain point. Right. And then when people have like spinal cord injuries, it often falls at a space where that pudendal nerve sidesteps the spine and then it still provides sensation to the pelvic region, even being paralyzed. I'm just like, God, you're just being (laughs) so dope. Like, so that's what, and that's why I'm so fueled to do what I do because as sin is idolized, I mean, sex is idolized as there's some type of sexual implication to the sin that so easily besets so many of us, right? Mm-hmm. I know that it is causing even further ought between man and God, this this thing, this thing of sexuality, but a lot of it is rooted in wrong information. Mm-hmm. And the devil loves that. He loves secrecy. He loves falsehoods. He loves lies and sneakiness. And so, and the, that's all we know the sex to be. It's in the dark. It's secret. It's behind closed doors. It's it's salacious. It's a joke. It's all those things. We don't take it seriously in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so we're not seeing God through it. And we're mad at God because we abstained and didn't get our husband. We're mad at God because we experienced that sexual assault. We're mad at God because our bodies don't look the way other bodies look. We're mad at God because it's functioning in a way that we didn't know because we can't have kids. We got like, we're mad at God for all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so my work is like showing, it's clarifying the picture of the most compassionate, loving, wonderful patient, all-knowing, future-thinking, strategic, intentional God. How can you not love them? Amen. 
<laughs> that was so wonderful. I'm wondering if there was any questions you would have liked me to ask you today. No, I think you did. This was great. And then your summaries in between, you're real good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Brittany.